Back to the Culture Call on Praise 93.3 with L. Spencer Smith. Our desire is to reach and empower the community by discussing a cross-section of relevant topics from various perspectives that are essential to its growth and interpersonal connections. Be sure to save our call-in number 205-752-4800. Be sure to install the free Praise 93.3 app so you can send L. Spencer Smith a message or topic idea. Search for WTSK in your app store. People, you know what time it is. That's right. It's time for the culture call with your truly L. Spencer Smith right here on your inspiration station, Praise 93.3. That's right. This is the place where Tuscaloosa indeed meets the world. And of course, for the next two hours from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., we're going to be here talking a little bit about everything from society to sports, education to economics, from religion to relationship. And as always, we are here to create a safe space. That's right. A safe space to have empowering, provocative, and yes, sometimes controversial conversations. And guess what? You can always call in or chat it up right here as we learn together on the Culture Call. Listen, I want to definitely, definitely send a a, a good welcome to those of you who may be listening to us for the very first time. Welcome to the Culture Call family. That's right, right here on Praise 93.3. This is a place where we are learning, we can laugh, we can we can look at each other from side eyes and we can talk about what we need to talk about that affects our community so we won't be late last to loss and we are privileged to have you join us on this morning. Hopefully you're telling somebody already about, "Hey, I'm tuned into uh the the broadcast. I'm tuned into the Culture Call with Elspeth Smith and I'm telling you you will not be sorry that you did. And as always, we want to send a shout out to those who are our recurring listeners who've been here from the very beginning. We're almost reaching our year anniversary. And I'm telling you, we're already at the top. We're already at the top of our talk, the talk area on radio. I'm telling you, we blaze in the radio and I'm excited. You know why? Because you are the ones that make it happen. And I am so so pleased and so proud that every day you tune in after the amazing, awesome, phenomenal Brother Jay on the radio from 5 all the way up to 10. He passes me this baton. It's hot. It's blazing. And all I do is I keep running. That's right. Like my grandmama used to say, I'm going to run on to see what the end is going to be. Absolutely. And so we want to send a shout out to all of you who make the culture call exactly what it is from week to week. Listen, I want to encourage you to, if you haven't done so already, to go to the app store on your smart device, whether it's an Apple phone, an Android phone, whatever your smart device is, here's what I need you to do. Go ahead and search out Praise 93.3. Download it. It's a free 99 app. It doesn't cost a thing. Go ahead and download that. And that is literally your doggy bag. What do you mean? You can hear us and you can take us wherever you go. Absolutely. Maybe you're sitting down and you've got to move around. You can tune into the app and still pick up on the culture call wherever you are. I'm super excited about that. Listen, so you can hear me, whether you're in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Austin, Texas, you can hear me in Miami, Florida, and definitely you can hear me right here in the beautiful city of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Birmingham, Montgomery, Huntsville, Mobile. That's right. You can definitely, definitely hear me in Reform, in Gordo, Bola G, Utah. Definitely, you can hear the culture call 
and be a part a part of what we're talking about. Listen, go ahead and send me your public service announcements at culturecall.praise at gmail.com. That's right, culturecall.praise at gmail.com. And give me an opportunity to be your PR specialist. Help me, let me tell Lottie Dottie and everybody what's happening in your church your organization, your fraternity, maybe your sorority. Yeah, maybe you're an artist that's getting ready to do in a concert or definitely you could be a preacher getting ready to do revival. And yeah, you definitely want the people's faces in the place so that you can be encouraged that what you do in our community really, really matters. Doesn't matter where you are. Let us know and we'll tell everybody to come on and show up. You know why? Because we do it better when we do it together. And as always, you can call in, save this number 205-752-4800, 205-752-4800 and call into the show or you can place it in the chat on the app. That's right. We made it convenient for you to do that there. You can go ahead and make sure uh, that you let me know what you think about it. If I'm doing a good job, listen, let me know. If you just want to say something about the subject matter, go ahead. You can do it there. And definitely, if I'm stinking up the joint, you can let me know right on that app or you can give me a call. Absolutely. I just want to hear from you. Also, I want to make a special plea this week that you join our Facebook page. That's right. Most of us have Facebook doesn't matter what age you are. I know you've got a Facebook page. Go ahead and type in The Culture Call. The Culture Call, right? And you can go ahead and just press that up button, that like button, and you can be a part of The Culture Call um, family on social media. And definitely for those of you who... uh Miss the broadcast sometimes, you can't tune in or whatever, or you want to refer them to, to somebody else, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts. That's where we store our archived uh, shows. Uh-huh. That's right. You can go to Apple Podcasts and search Culture Call, and there you will see my face with all of the past episodes that we have done uh, uh, that I believe that they've chronicled for your listening pleasure. So I don't want you to miss that. Absolutely not. Be a part of the Culture Call family. We've got a, a lot of great things coming up, but I want to make sure that you don't miss it, right? Do me a favor, sit back and relax. Grab you some coffee, whether it's Maxwell House or Starbucks. Go ahead and get you some herbal tea, whether it's chamomile if you're trying to calm down, or whether it's a little green tea if you're trying to get a little caffeine kick. Definitely, as always, you can get some alkaline water. That's that water with the black label. Sometimes it comes in black and red. My favorite is Essentia. Go ahead and get that. Help your body detox. Get those cells, uh, you know, woke up. Yeah, tell them, get up cells. We got stuff to do today. And let's get into the culture. Listen, so much going on. Time is filled with swift transition. January seems to be the longest year, <laughs> the longest year we've had already. I'm telling you, it's been a long January. So much has happened, y'all. So much has happened, you know, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, I hope that you are paying attention not only to what's going on in our community because there's a lot going on there. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But there's a lot that is going on in the world that I think we need to keep our eyes on. That's right. That as we, you know, as the scripture tells us, wars and rumors of wars, we are seeing uh, exposures in every level of in, in entertainment, in politics, in religion. Uh, you're seeing so many things that are happening. And, uh, you know, from from indictments to charges to uh, judgmental judge judgments coming from uh, even as high as the Supreme Court. We've got to keep our eye on the ball. 
culture call. We got to stay, how do young folks say, we got to stay woke. We got to make sure uh, that we are not sleep at the wheel of what is happening. Why? Because I told you before, 2024 is a pivotal year. It's the year of transition in government and so many other transitions, so many changes are going to happen this year. And you've got to keep your eye on the proverbial ball, right? That you cannot get lost. You cannot like, well, I don't want to know about that. I'm, I'm going to pay attention. Yes, pay attention and mind your own business. I, I, I definitely encourage that. But you do have to know what's happening in your surroundings so that you may adjust. You may have to, you know, you may have to think about something totally different than you thought about it in the past. And that is important. And if you don't pay attention, uh, you're going to be coming up what, you know, have something happens and you're going to be like, what in the world is going on? I'm telling you right now, so much is going on, you know, and we hope to pull that back. It's a political season, y'all. We are in the season of politics, which means, Coach Call, we are in the season of spin, S-P-I-N. That's right, not S-P-E-N-D. S-P-I-N. What does that mean? They're gonna, you're going to see people coming out of the woodwork who you've not seen since the last election cycle coming in and telling you things that they think you and our community wants to hear. You know why? Because they're trying to get your vote. And that's important because in this uh, uh, this representative democracy, that's how we elect our leaders. That's how they stay in position. It's our vote or our lack of voting. It keeps people in position, especially those who are not necessarily doing what they're supposed to do on behalf of the citizenry of uh, of the country. And our county and our city, it is very important that you understand that this is the time where you've got to gain a level of discernment, that you got to wake up, that you got to know the issues that affect your community and your district. Yeah, you got to know what's happening in this country in terms of who's our senators, who, who are our sen- senators and our congressmen, and definitely, ultimately, in November, we got to think about who we are going to elect to be our president. Definitely, definitely. I don't want to have too much of a political conversation, but I do want to posture this. I want to put this there. There seems to be some kind of concern about the age of the front-running candidates. The incumbent, uh, Joe Biden, uh, just turned 80 years old. And his challenger, seemingly his challenger, his purported challenger, if if an indictment does not send him to jail, right? And uh, yeah, you can see how the courts are slowing down. They're manipulating that as well, right? Um, he couldn't get away from that $83.3 million judgment. But nonetheless, yeah, you see, he's 77. Uh, and, and that's not a great distance. And, I, and, and, and as much as I know that we would like to see younger representation at the head of our country, at the head of leadership, uh, historically, historically, uh, the leaders of this country have been uh, in the in in the older cast and more senior cast, right? Uh, but I saw a uh, a post by Bishop Paul Martin today, which which I wholeheartedly agree uh, with. That we know our candidates are old. We know, but that the age. First of all, I have an issue with that because ageism. I do believe that there is a time where you should retire. There is a time when, when you know, you're not as viable and as as quick on your feet, right, as you may have been in one season. Um, but I, 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 I definitely come against ageism, right? We normally celebrate our grandparents when they're active. 
we celebrate our great grandparents when they're you know they're still doing things for themselves all those different yeah i know it but when it comes to leadership now oh i think you ought to sit down i don't think uh, yeah okay that remember <laughs> i always keep in mind like my my parents used to tell me you're gonna get old one day you're gonna get older one day so just be careful what you say and again you know, I, I would love to see, and we would all love to see a more uh, youthful constituency. You know, uh, I believe uh, President Obama, when he was elected, he was in his 40s, uh, someone is in, in his 40s. You know, uh, being the president is a hard job. It's a it's a taxing job, not only being hard and difficult, but a taxing job. It requires a whole lot of the individual who not only from a campaign perspective, but a commanding perspective, from a commandeering perspective, it's a lot to put on an octogenarian. It's a lot to put on a senior, right? So I get the understanding. But there is a difference between one of the older candidates who has never been indicted, has not been indicted, who is lucid, who is clear, who's leading the country. Some decisions the administration is making I don't agree with. Uh, as it relates to, you know, how they're handling certain, certain global issues uh, with regards to Israel and Palestine, with regards to certain other things that they're handling. But they're clear about where their positions are. They're not meandering. They're not wandering around. They're not, you know, clueless about what is really going on. And then you've got another senior who has 91 felony counts, have all, has already been indicted and found guilty of sexual abuse and 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 has to pay pay because it was a civil case not a criminal case has to pay 83.3 million dollars in terms of for punitive damages and defamation has a boatload of cases that they couldn't even debate they didn't even want to debate right and there's some kind of you know if you pay attention there's something going on there yeah so even though they're seniors, please don't categorize them both the same way. Each of them stand on their own. My job is to tell you the truth about what's happening. You feel what I'm saying? And so the options are clear. The options are very clear as we talk about this political season. And I want to encourage each of you not to take your ball because you're not getting the individual thing that you want. None of us get all that we want when we're dealing with the political sector of how America is run, right? This country does not. Now watch this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to vector off somewhere and expand this in just a few. Um, but this country does not, does not. Let me say this again. This, this country does not cater to the individual of one country of one person or one sector of people. Well, at least it shouldn't, you know. Uh, you know, from a historical context, you, we can all debate that. But the reality is you don't take your ball and run, right? That as it relates to African-American people, black people, our ancestors fought for the right to vote. Now, who you vote for is your prerogative. And, and my thing is you get the leadership that you vote and that you do not vote for, right? Um, I will tell you that just a few miles from where we are living and where this station is based in Selma, Alabama, there was a whole big issue about voting and our humanity and equity and equality and justice uh, that was had on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, where Joe John Lewis was there and all of uh, Martin Luther King and all of them marched. Uh, and we celebrate in this area Bloody Sunday. 
and for a generation to say who can say, well, I'm not voting. Voting doesn't matter. Well, you need to ask somebody's blood. You need to ask somebody who was afflicted in that time. You need to ask those who was who were under the uh, the whole government banner of not being able to vote because they were not even looked as viable humans in the community before you just throw your vote aside. Know that the ability to vote, especially for black and brown people, black people in particular, that it cost a generation something. And that's kind of what I really want to deal with is understanding what our generations, the generations paid for and making sure that it's been a long time for them, you know, making sure that the check clears or even is written, but there's got to be a generation that doesn't abandon that. Well, you haven't, you haven't given us reparation. You haven't given us this. You haven't given us that. Yeah. Keep fighting for it. Keep bringing it up, but they're not going to pay attention to a community that does not exercise their power to vote. And if voting was not important, comma, then why all of these bills that are oppressive? Why are there so many bills that, you know, right now there are bills? Why disenfranchise the Voting Rights Act? Why suppress a community? Why gerrymander so that you will weaken the black vote? Right? Why convert districts that only give us one district as a voice but have, you know, 15, 12 districts to give voice to, uh, you know, white folks and other people and diminish our voice if yours was not important, if your vote was not important, right? So you have to understand that your voice is important in this. It may have taken years for us to get it. And we can mark down through the historical context of the truth of what I just said, right? That we did not have being an agency and worth when our feet struck this country. But now, because of the blood, sweat, and tears of former generations, because of policymakers, because of, of, of them keeping that in front of the government, keeping that in front of the leaders of this country, we now possess the right to vote, right? And of course, it should be inher- inherent to us, right? But when they said all men are created equal, guess what? That wasn't even applying to us. So we had to fight for that right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you stay home in elections, when you're not abreast of it, when you say, well, uh, I'm not going to get this, I'm not, I'm not going to get that. No, okay, all right, I get it. We didn't get our 40 acres in a meal. And no, we didn't get our $300 per, you know, per, per slave. We didn't get that, that in, in, in Lincoln's time. None of that happened. None of that happened. They played the enslavers more than the enslaved. They gave the enslavers reparation because the enslavers were losing their workforce, free workforce. Right. That, 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 that you and I, our ancestors built the wealth of the South. Absolutely. By free labor. And now there's a generation that has the audacity to say, now I'm not going to vote or better yet vote for the very people who are trying to keep that disenfranchisement going on. That are trying to still keep the, the, the empire of law enforcement and a lot, not hold law enforcement to the law and how it treats its citizens. Most importantly, it's minority citizens. That's who you're going to allow to be in power when you stay home? Absolutely not. You know? As the scripture says in Romans, God forbid. 
God forbid, culture calls. So then, there were, then we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to make sure that we show up and allow our voices to be heard. Without, yeah, that if we don't do that, if we do not do that, we're going to be missing an opportunity to shape our world in the context that there will be liberty and justice for all. Right? And so many times since we have been given the right to vote, black people have been saving this experiment called America since we've been given the right to vote. We sway elections. We bring to, uh, bring to bear what is necessary for us to be a viable country and to sit on the sidelines or to misappropriate it or not to vote according to more than just you and your pocketbook, right? Or your pseudo-conservatism, right, is, is, is a travesty to our community. Remember, remember, each vote, each vote, we have to do that. Each vote matters. Every last single one. Every last vote matters. And and I would like to think I'm the one that, that has that vote that's going to swing an election. That's going to remove somebody. You know, when, when we don't vote, we get we get people in, in, in office that's that's using God as a pawn in their own wicked schemes and the craftiness of their own hearts. When we don't vote, when we don't show up, when we are not clear about what happens in the political uh, avenues of our lives, you know, when we don't understand that, we give rule and reign to people who could care less about us. And so it's imperative. It's imperative. Listen, no one government, no one administration is going to give you all that you want. Let me say that again. No one administration. See, because the way that government works, culture call, hear me, hear me, hear me, chocolate folks. The way that government works is that it's a bicambrial house. What does that mean? That means it has those who you, you know, Democrats and Republicans. It has some, some liberals. It has some conservative. It has some northerners. It has some southerners. That the context of what's going on in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, is not the same context of what's going on in Manhattan, New York, even though those two people are Democrats, even though those two people are Republicans, right? That politics are local. So the the way that our government is set up is, yeah, it tries to give voice and bearance to every perspective. That is why it's an experiment. That is why it is so it is so very important for us to understand that who we put there matters. Right? That right now we've got two people who are representing our state that don't speak for black people. As a matter of fact, they're kind of antagonistic, but they represent listen, our state. And they represent our state because they in the voting process they prevailed. You see, and that's important for us to know and to note that when we are not active in the political process, oh, God, go, God, go. let me tell you something. This is not a theocracy. Let me say it again, that this is not 
a God ruled. God voted. God, listen, a theocracy, there is no vote. It is what somebody or what some group of people said God said. And there is an ilk that wants it to be a theocracy. Now, here's the problem. I see you. I, I understand. Hallelujah. A theocracy. That's right. Ha, ta, ta. Okay. All right. Then there was a season when they said God said we needed to be slaves as black folks. Huh? There was a season that they're saying God said this and God said God said not to help the, the, the poor. God said this and God said that. God said put him in the spot. God said, God, you don't want a theocracy. And they're trying to overturn the democracy or, uh, or uh, you know, the democratic republic. You know, this representative republic, they're trying to change that to become a theocracy. But the issue is that we've got so many kind of context and belief in God. Do How do we know that you speak for the true and living God? So a theocracy is definitely not what we want when we're trying to converge and amalgamate to be a, a, a country that's under God. This, this, this country was founded on Christian Judeo beliefs. No, it was not. No, it was not. Not from a historical context. Not from a founding father theory context. It was not. All of them did not believe in Judeo-Christian beliefs. Did, did not. I'm talking about the folks that wrote the Constitution. You got to know that it wasn't. Why? Because when they said all all men are created equal and they talk, they, they were not talking about black people. We were property. We were slaves. So, but they said God, well, really? So God looked at me and God appointed me because from their framework and their theology, God appointed black people to be animals and beasts. That's where you get chattel slavery, no more than uh, uh, property. That was their interpretation. So, no, it is a dangerous, very dangerous perspective for you to have someone to make uh, for us to live under this whole theocracy where the people in charge do not uh, think that God relegates our humanity to something that is beneath theirs. That is not biblical. That is not uh, theological. That is not the way God thinks. Absolutely not. But it is a way that they maintain power. So you got to be very careful. When you have this nationalism, Christian nationalism, this nativist kind of mentality, right? Those people were burning crosses in the name of God. Burning crosses in black folks' yard to diminish their humanity. That's how that was. I just want to take you down a brief lesson. And so we, we have to be active you just can't not say that I'm a Christian and I don't get involved in that. No, because Christians are involved. People who say they are Christians are involved. Good old church folks that are still racist in their heart are involved in choosing the next leader. And while you're trying to be pious and while you're trying to be religious and while you're trying to be righteous and just praying on your feet, they are going to the polls. Try this again. Let me say it again. That while you are standing and, and going to your prayer circle, Lord, give us a president, Lord. That's not how presidents are elected in this country. Not in this one. <laughs> no, those same people who don't like the very fabric of who you are, they are going to the polls to vote for people, watch this, who think like them. 
right, to vote for people who have the same context of God that they have. And in some people's minds, slavery is a God idea. Disenfranchisement, lack of justice, overturning justice is a God idea. And if they could do it today, they would do it, drumroll please, in the name of God. And so, and so, when we as black folks go to the poll, it's a different context. Yes, we ought to be led by our morals and our righteous perspective. We are led by what we believe that the, the scriptures and the text says concerning the full humanity and the citizenry of everyone. And then we are, devoted. and that's what they don't want. But that's what they're going to get because we're going to rise up as a community and get the leaders that are going to be beneficial to everyone in our community. And regardless of color, regardless of creed, regardless of how they show up, regardless of all of that, I know that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, we, we have our moral perspective. I get that. But now we need to gain an ethical perspective. Because just because someone does not believe the same way I live or live their lives the same way that we live our lives does not mean that they should be treated worse or put in a place of disadvantage. That they should be disenfranchised simply because they experience their humanity different than we do. So we got to start thinking about that. How can we become a, come a, a, a more loving community, a more equitable community? a community that is reflective of the heart of God. How can we become that? And that we cannot rest on the laurels of our good religion, that we've got to put it in action. We've got to put that in action, and we've got to do it now to save our country. Listen, this is yours truly, Elspeth Smith, right here on the Culture Call. We've got a ways to go. We're going to be talking about how we can build our community. What is our part in that? What is our part in building our country, black folks in particular? What is our part? That's right. Some of it is going to be a reminder. Some of it is going to be talking to you about the future. But I need you to keep it right here on Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. And don't miss it. This is the world we are back right here with yours truly, Spencer Smith, on the Culture Call. Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. And we're just talking about how we can, as a community, can create a better, a better political viability uh, in our country. How we can make our voices heard, especially as it relates to our youth. Because we are the picture that they are looking toward to be able to understand who they are. Let me just vector off and talk about how we need to begin to connect our youth to the responsibility that they have with regards to the community, what they have to our population, to this, to shaping and building the world. Since Whitney Houston came up with that song in the 80s, I believe the children are the future. Teach them well and let them lead the way, show them all the beauty they possess inside, give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Right. Right. And so I think when, 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 when we begin to frame an understanding of generational connectivity in terms of not just looking behind, but also looking forward, we've got to make sure that our youth are built up and are being addressed to the place to where they can be viable citizens and agents of this 
uh, representative republic that we live in. I think if we leave them behind, see, a lot of our young people uh, in our communities are have no clue about what is happening politically in their community, in their state, in their, you know, their city, their state. And definitely on a federal level, they don't have they are clueless because they come from homes that are clueless. The way uh, as a young person that I got involved or got interested in politics and what was happening in this country and, and even, you know, from a from a world sense was because I lived in a house of parents and grandparents uh, that were engaged, that there was newspapers, there were magazines. Uh, they they stopped everything to watch the news. Y'all know when the news used to go off. So you had to catch it at a particular time or you would miss it with Walter Cronkite and all those on it, you know. And so we had to sit there with them to watch the news to find out what's going on in the country, to find out what was going on in our city. We had to watch the local news. We had to watch the... The national news, ABC, CBS, NBC, right? Uh, we, we had to know what was happening uh, around our world. We had in school, watch this, current events. And, you know, so we were able to see what was, again, what was going on. And not just see, the teacher was going to ask us, give me a current event, what's going on in the world today? What's going on in the, your local city today, in your town? What's happening? That was the part of the educational process uh, in school. That was a part of our home life, right? And as the generations have gone on and as the, you know, the news now never goes off and as there's no more news reporting, there's news commentators, there there are very few newspapers uh, that are still in function. Everything seems to be driven social media from a social media context. My question is how can then we build up and develop our youth behind us who are in charge of the future? Remember, teach them well and let them lead the way. That, that listen, that should be in the in the text in the scripture. It is kind of you know train up a child in the way they should go, and when they get older, they won't depart from it. But I love how Whitney put that: teach them well and let them lead the way. Because our children, who we are looking at, who are twelve, thirteen, fourteen. When we turn around in the next election cycle, in the next, you know, political cycle, they're going to be old enough to vote, to choose leaders. Because, you know, in this country, you have to be at least 18. Well, that's, listen, they're still in high school. Some of them will be, are getting ready to go to college. And so if they're not being made and given a hunger and a thirst to understand this whole geopolitical thing that's going on, that is literally going to affect their lives, their schooling, you know, that that if, if they're not paying attention to the student loan situation that's going on where uh, the Biden administration did have a bill, it did pass, but the Republicans took it to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said it was unconstitutional. So, you know, it's not that Biden and none of those, that's false narrative that they, they didn't do what they're supposed to do. That's a lie. That's somebody who ain't paying attention. That's somebody who does not know, who does not know uh, what, what, is, what is, you know, what's really going on with regards to what's happening politically in this country. Because, again, there's the executive branch, legislative branch, and, and uh, 
uh, an executive branch, uh, and a, a judicial branch rather, and the judicial branch, Supreme Court, who's more, mostly conservative, appointed by Trump, they put they overturned it and said it was unconstitutional for student loans for the federal government to say that student loans didn't have to pay back loans that they didn't have from the federal government. Now, what they didn't overturn was the PPP loans that the congressmen, the senators got. They got that forgiven, those PPP loans that they did not need, right? During COVID and all those things, they got forgiven of those. But those same people, we got to pay attention. But the same people who got hundreds of thousands of dollars forgiven in those PPP loans, right? Or the same people that voted against student loans not being forgiven. The same people who were forgiven then voted for folks that were to not be forgiven. Let me try this one more time. Let me let me see if I can do this again. The people, the folks that were forgiven of their loans were not forgiven of were, were, were voted for people who had student loans to not be forgiven. Uh, did you, does that even make any sense? How were they given that kind of power? See, but, but see, you get the leaders you vote for. And the reason why I'm saying that, because by the time that our youth now get to college or get to the place where they want to go to college, it's going to be so hard to afford it. Because there was a generation that did not, number one, fend for them, that did not build them, did not, that was not so concerned about their financial equity, was not concerned about their financial stability. Right. Was not concerned about putting ed- money in education to pay teachers to 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 fuel educational systems that gave them that compete with China, that could compete with India and other foreign countries who are at the top. Right. So, yeah, that part. How do we even get to that part? How do we build our youth to be viable agents when we're not teaching them to pay attention because their parents are not paying attention? We're not paying. We've got to begin to help them come along and say, hey, address their concerns. Address what what are you concerned about? Listen to them. They know. Listen to our youth. They are endangered. Why? Because there is a, a system of law enforcement in this country that I'm talking about minority communities that that do not see them. They see they they see the young black boy who's in seventh grade, but in their mindset, we have a police system that sees him as a Goliath, a big black Goliath. And all of a sudden, their lives. You went to their community to police them, and then their li- then they are then your life is you're fearing for your life when they're walking simply in their community. Then. If you fearing for your life when you see one of our black youth, then you don't need to be working a beat in our community, period. So there's a system already engaged to incarcerate them so that they can go to prison, so that they can be free labor under the 13th Amendment. You see, all of this is happening. And if we don't do what we need to do to build our youth, to build our young people, that they can understand the construct of living that is going on currently in America, we are going to be late, last, and lost. But guess what? That begins in the home. The yes, that begins in asking what's going on, what happened in the news today? What you think about this? What you think about that? You know? 
what 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 what's 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 happening here? Pay attention to what is going on. We have to do that for the generations that are behind them and make them active in it. Right. Not just defend them, but teach them. Teach them how when you get older and you have the opportunity, it makes a difference who the sheriff is. Yes, it does. It makes a difference who the mayor is. It makes a difference who your city council person is. It makes a difference who your congressman and who your senator is. Because these are the people that shape the news. I'm not just talking about the physical head of the president, the figurehead, not physical, but figurehead of the president. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am saying, it makes a difference. Try it one more time. Rewind, press play. Let's go forward. It makes a difference who these people are. And our young people, if we don't build them up now, if we don't empower their voices, if we don't bring them and make them engage and connect the dots, because there's a youth on the street or in his, in his friends that say, well, this don't affect me, but this don't affect me. No, my parents and my grandparents back when I was coming up in the 70s and the early 80s, when I was approaching my teenage years, they connected to, hey, pay attention because this going to affect you. Here's what they say. This going to affect you one day. You see? This going to affect you one day. Really? One day? Wait a minute. Hold on. Excuse me. Wait a minute. <laughs> what? Huh? Yeah, this is going to affect you one day. So you got to pay attention. You've got to pay attention. And so if you're not paying attention, then they're roaming the streets. They're going to school. And they hate going to school because the school system, you know it, and I know it, culture call. The school system is not even engaging and reflective as it was when we were in school. It, it feels like an assembly line trying to pass the kids along. Uh, but what kind, what kind of youth are we developing even in public schools? And there is a, there is something going on in this country right now from a political perspective where, watch this, Christians want to control education and see and it's christians who are not degreed christians who who say they no and i mean and i and please understand when i say christians i have i am one so i have nothing against them but i'm saying you have those who are not learned who have not gone getting in these seats voted on school boards and 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 saying well we want charter schools because they want to teach their children this good old american christian way and and trying to take money and funding out of public schooling. And nobody's nobody's upset about that culture call. We have to be we we have to be mindful of that. We have to be mindful of that. That there is a thing going on right now that if we do not let me say this one more time, that if we do not pay attention to what is happening, if we do not pay attention to what our youth are dealing with, if we don't empower them, how do we how, how do we teach them to handle the law enforcement agency? How do we teach them how to even, what the next step? They used to ask us what you want to be when you're growing up. These are important conversations. You know why? Because just that question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Does what? It gives them a sense of future. It gives them a sense of expectation. It gives them a sense of thinking about something. Not just letting them pick and choose. No. Get them to thinking about it. 
Yes, right. Get them to thinking about it now. We owe it to, as parents, black parents, black grandparents, we owe it to our young people, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our children to say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? What are you doing to get there? Do you even know? We have to know this as parents. What our kids are good in. You know? Uh, I was talking to a member of our church Sunday after service, and uh, she was telling me about what's happening, and her, her young son, I think he might be maybe two or three, how he was diagnosed with autism. And I was like, well, here's what we're not going to do. Here's what, here, here, we're not giving him any medication. First of all, because I, I've, I've had this whole issue. We're not going to do that yet. He's still a child. He's still learning his motor skills. He's still learning how to think and how to grasp in his world. He's still playing with Tonka trucks. He's, his personality is being shaped. Your job as a parent, and we're sitting talking at the church. Your job as a parent is to be actively involved in this life and make sure that, but no, there will not be anything to calm him down and, and wake him up and, and, sell, uh, and spur him up. No, absolutely. Why are you trying to control the God-given energy in that child? You know why? Because a system has said that. A system has put labels on our young babies, on our young people. And because we are so addictive, addicted to convenience, We'll put a pill in their mouth or some syrup in their mouth that's going to damage them for the future. No. When that teacher in this school system, in the city school system, came to me and my wife and said, well, maybe we need to put your son on XYZ because he's a brilliant boy, but he's, he's still drumming and beating. And they said that I showed up at the school and I wasn't bishop. I was the parent of my child. And I was like, no, absolutely not. We'll take him out your class since obviously you can't handle him. And my wife and I are degreed educators. So we knew the psychological language. We knew all of these things. We know all of these, these, these outlier conversations that had been being had in the, we had all of the research. So what you ain't going to do is refer that you're not going to put my child on Ritalin at the time. You're not absolutely not. We'll just move him out your class. And that baby today is a brilliant producer, is an amazing talent, is a double-degreed individual. Morehouse and New York University, NYU. Absolutely. But but if, if I had listened to that and not been a defender for my young baby, my youth, then where would he have turned out? Because the teacher in a system wanted to be convenienced because they had no clue of how to handle the behavior of this beautiful, brilliant black boy. Absolutely not. And parents, we got to figure out how we can be defenders of our children, defenders of our youth. No, I don't want police in my community that when my, 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 my uh, oversized eighth grader walks down the street, coming home from football practice, and you police in our street, but you nervous when you see his black frame? No, I don't want you policing my community. I need you to go someplace else where you're not fearful for your life. Because when you feel fearful for your life, you no longer see the agency, the brilliance, the beauty the, of my child can no longer be strength, strength uh, strong. He can no longer be an athlete. You see him 
as somebody who's trying to overpower the law. No, I do not want you policing in my community. And if we don't defend our youth like that, nope, I want them gone out of our community. I do not want them being able to protect my child. No, because my child to them in their eyes looks like a criminal and I do not want them in my community. See, if we don't speak up and defend for our children, how, what, what's going to happen to our youth? If we don't understand the politics behind all of this, the politics of control, the politics of institutionalism, if we don't understand all of that, then we're going to let our children be a, 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 a constant as a generation, as a generation that has, number one, no awareness of what's happening for them, no awareness of what happens to them, and no one to defend them as they get older. Their voice are going, voices are going to be diminished, and they're not going to have or see themselves as a viable part of this country and choosing leadership and shaping the world that they live in. I know I sound passionate, but I am. And I'm trying to get you to passionate today, too, on the Culture Call with yours truly, Elspeth Smith, right here on Praise 93.3. Listen, we got to take a minute, but I need you to go ahead and get hydrated, get you a drink, some coffee or something, and keep it right here. Don't miss it. This is the world we are back. Yes, it's the top of the hour right here on the Culture Call. 11 a.m. That's right. Praise 93.3. And we are having an amazing day. Welcome to all of you who may just be tuning in to our second hour. That's right. 11 a.m. is our second hour of the broadcast. And we have been having a day today, a conversation uh, that has been powerful, trying to make sure that we're doing what we need to do to first of all become viable parts of our community ourselves, but also make sure that our young people who are coming behind us, or especially our teenagers, are also equipped to be a part, building them up and addressing their concerns so that they can be connected to making our country or taking their place and having a voice in our country. So yeah, that's what we're talking about today. But we want to welcome you to the Culture Call. So glad to have your listening ear with us. Listen, got a few things, we few public service announcements. That's right. Uh, uh, the marriage ministry of the Impact Nation Church wants to invite you to a family wealth symposium, February 3rd. That's right. This coming Saturday at 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, right at the Impact Nation Fellowship Church. We're going to be having financial advisors there uh, that's going to help you. We're dealing with uh, five levels of wealth for families this year. And our first level is financial wealth. And uh, we're going to bring in uh, those who can help skill build us, build us and give us certain products and certain strategies and technology to help build our, our family's wealth. That's right. That is important for black folks that we build our wealth, that we are the, the, the only race ethnicity in this country that's thousands of dollars behind in equitable wealth with regards to, you know, Hispanics, Caucasians, um, Asians, we are the last. And so we need to figure out strategies of how uh, we can begin to discipline ourselves towards what do they have available uh, to help us do that. And you don't want to miss that. That's from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, and we're going to have, oh, there, we're going to have Northwestern Mutual Financial Advisors that are going to be there. 
That's right. This week, you need to come. It's free. doesn't cost you a thing, but you've got to register. Go to www.theimpactnation.org backslash events to register. You have to register. Again, www.theimpactnation.org backslash events, and you'll see it there, the Family Wealth Symposium. Our first one is financial. You can go ahead and register there, and we'll put this up on the Culture Call page so that you can see it as well. Listen, also, if you are in need of groceries, if you are in need of groceries, let me say this again. If you are in need of groceries and you need assistance in that area, this Friday morning uh, at 10 a.m., we're going to be partnering with the Tuscaloosa One Place to provide a food pantry. That's right. At the Impact Nation, we need you to come there and pick you up some groceries. That's right. Don't uh, be hesitant. Don't be ashamed. We all, if I, you got to make sure you eat. You got to make sure that your family is healthy and there's healthy foods there. And we're working on something that we're going to be addressing food deserts, uh, especially in and on the east side of Tuscaloosa where our churches church is, but all over our city. We want you to come and be a part, get you some grocery uh, healthy groceries that you can feed yourself and your family um, so that you will not be hungry. It's this Friday, February 2nd on uh, at 10 a.m. It begins at 10 a.m. And again, it's the Impact Nation uh, and uh, the Tuscaloosa One Place. You need to be there. You need to be there if that is your need. Want to make sure you do that. And finally, listen, y'all, I've been telling you, I've been writing a new book. I've been, I finished it finally. It's not a long book. It's about 79, 80 pages. It's called Child Left Behind. And what I'm talking about and talking to or who I'm talking to is children who have lost both of their parents, helping you through the grieving process, the mourning process. And I'm telling you, it's I think it's one of my best books that I've written. Um, it's definitely my shortest book I've written, but I want I didn't want it to be too long. I wanted to share my heart on this last. You know, my mom passed in 2022. And my dad passed in 2015 and I woke up one day just feeling like an orphan. I felt like there's, you know, it's, it's, it's something when the people who, uh, brought you into this world is, are, are no longer there. You know, I'm, I'm left with the house. I'm left with handling all the business, but I can't talk to them. I can't, I can't. And that's, that's hard for children who have lost their parents. And so, I wrote this book, Child Left Behind, for those who, for those children who have lost both both of their parents, with you and I in mind, because I wanted to share with you the painful journey, the painful journey uh, that I am yet taking. It's only been two years since my mom passed, and I miss my dad tremendously. Uh, but when my mom passed, it woke all of that back up. I was healing, you know, because I still had her here. But when Mama passed, it's something totally. It's it's a different kind of spin. And, uh, you know, I, I recognized how much I loved her and how much I loved my dad and that I was just in a unique place. It's a unique place not having parents anymore. Yeah, it's a unique place. And how do you journey? How do you live? And then and then I also talk about how to as a Christian, the things that we say, oh, my goodness, the things that we say to each other trying to and, and it's not meant in a bad way. So let me put that there. I don't think it's meant in a negative way. (laughs) 
you know, you know, God took a, 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 a you know, God needed a rose in his garden. So you took my mama because you need a rose. Cause, cause God, who created everything in the universe, since bad theology, even though I, it comes from a sincere heart, it's bad theology. It don't make no sense. Y'all, it does not make any sense. The things that we say trying to ease the pain oftentimes makes it worse. Oftentimes makes it worse. And so, you know, I talk about, you know, one of the chapters in the book, it talks about the things people say. Oh, my God. The things church folks say, the things preachers say, trying to make you feel better about the loss of your loved one, your parent in particular. Man, just preach the message. Just preach the message and say, hey, if you need me, I'm here. Hug me and let me go on. But don't don't be giving these cliches that mean no, don't mean uh, does not mean a hill of beans right now that God is so preoccupied that he had to t- he had to take a rose. He got to take your mama because he needed a rose. What if my mom was a violet or daffodil, an iris, a magnolia, a petunia? He was looking for roses. OK, whatever. Right. But that's the things we say. And again, I don't think that they are malicious, but I think that we need to, you know, we need to definitely, definitely read that book. Listen, you can get it. You can go to my website, www.lspencersmith. That's S-P-E-N-S-E-R, not C, S-E-R Smith, L. Spencer Smith, one word, lspencersmith.com. And go to my store and you can find my new book. It's in pre-order. Uh, the book should be ready in February. and We'll ship them to you. I'll sign it, you know, and ship them to you. But go ahead and you can do that. I'll put this also on our culture call page so that you will not miss it because I think for those who have lost your parents, it's very important. It's a very important read. It's a very empowering read. It brings an understanding of how to navigate this moment. It's something that we may never get over. A matter of fact, I am sure you'll never get over, but it's a book that helps you daily with the journey of living alone without your parents. So I think that's important. So go ahead and and do that. I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, do that. Do that and get that. Right? Got it? Again, if you have any other public service announcements, you can definitely email that to me at culturecall.praise at gmail.com. That's culturecall.praise at gmail.com. And send me your public service announcement so that we can let everybody know. Okay? Good deal. I want to go back to making sure that we understand how to be a part, a viable part, take ownership and allow our young people to walk beside us as we, as a community, seek to build. You know, one of the things that happened in our community from a historical perspective is one generation, a few generations, a couple really, began to prosper because it's really, you know, really began to feel the agency, their agency and value in this country. And because of that, they thought that they were living in a post-racial society, that that because they were able to go to integrated schools and have some level of white adjacency, that you thought that the ilk in man's heart was gone. That whole angst, anxiety, prejudice, bigotry in someone's heart was gone, right? That what I found out, even from an, an issue of sexism, that you can you can love women and still not believe that they should be leaders. You can be in love with a woman. You woman. You can be yeah. You you can be sister girl, but still not see her full agency 
to be a minister or preacher, and I'm not the one you can call and tell about where the Bible says, because I promise you that ain't a conversation that we need to have today, because you got to understand hermeneutical contextuality when you begin to bring, bring that to bear. And God never discounts anyone's agency, any, anyone's value, anyone's purpose and destiny. It's our cultural perspectives and our human and our uh, our whole uh, insecurities around the hierarchies that we have built, right? That we have been oppressed and one of our answers have been to create oppressive structures uh, in the name of some kind of standard and ideal which disenfranchises people and that's an unfortunate thing. Nonetheless, we have to teach our children now to you know, our young boys and our young girls, how to have voices, how to have agency, how to have, you know, in the midst of so much anti-ism, in the midst of so much that might be against their full humanity, how do I, how do I exact human? How do I become a human? How do, be, who, how do I become the fullness of all that I have been created to be if that fullness has to be constructed or fueled through or funneled through a, a, a political or a governmental structure system that says I am not that, right? How do I, how am I viewed as a full human and are able to live out my youth? How can they do that when there's a system that's looking for them to be prisoners? When the expectation and the percentages and that the statistics say that by the time they get fourth grade that these boys from this neighborhood making this amount of money with this with the with uh no two parents in the home they statistically broken it down that this will be a candidate to go to prison and to work for slave labor in our country well how do we address that if we don't make our children aware of that see it's one thing it's one thing to hold the government accountable. It's another thing to train our children to be able to have a viable voice, to know who they are and not place themselves into positions whereby, yeah, whereby, you know, making us, uh, 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 making us, uh, let me, let me see, I want to say this, making us and placing us in a position to where we are those who may or may not, uh, uh, you know, be uh, able to participate in the future. See, I wanted to make sure that my children had a voice to participate fully in the future. So I had to let them know certain things and certain, you know, because this country, watch me, this country, especially the church, and we're going to talk about this one day when I feel like we've grown up enough to handle this conversation. <laughs> This country is moral, but this country is not ethical. They are not the same. This country has a morality of which, of which it's not objective, it's subjective. They feel a way about their right and wrong, right? But they are not ethical. They don't treat everyone with the same system of morality that they establish. They have picks and chooses. And we see that at every sector of society. Okay, good. Then you're going to release our youth and our young people into a world understanding 
that this country has a subjective morality and lacks ethical behavior so that it will look at one person one way and know that they are wrong, but ethically they will not do anything. They will coddle. They will change the narrative. But if somebody else did it, it's wrong. Yeah. But the, but, but the, but the response is lock them up in jail and throw away the key. We can see that right now, right? With how they're treating one, one candidate over the other. But our children are walking into this world, you know, and our young people are walking into this world. And one of the things that my parents taught me, and I think our parents still should be teaching. Now, hear me that, yes, you cannot do the same thing that they do. Let me say this again, that you cannot do. You're living in a country. You're living in a world that as a black young person, you cannot go to class and tell your teacher off. You cannot go to class and not do your work. You cannot go to class and do X, Y, Z because it is not going to be weighed the same. They will give little Johnny another chance, chance and call the parents and be friends with the parents and, and try. But they will put you in suspension. They will put you in expulsion. They will put you in a place of a troubled child. It ain't the same. It is not the same culture call. And we got to go back to, you might say, well, that's old school, Bishop. That's old school. Okay. Right? Just because it's old school, that's old learning. That's foundational learning. It's not the same. You can tell me the truth right now. That if there was a uh, an African-American man on the same wise as the former president that got, in, got 91 felonies and all of these other charges and still be the front runner of a political party and, and not in jail, if that was a black man, man, please. So you see, there is a morality. And the church would say, the church has said, the evangelical church in particular, especially in the South, have said, have said, hey, well, you know, he's a modern day David. Wait a minute, what? That he's God appointed. He's God anointed. God put him there. Really? You talk about the same folks that a few years ago was praying that somebody killed and assassinate the first African-American president who did no wrong, ain't nowhere near the criminal behavior. And no, see, so already they're telling you that they have selective morality and they have little ethic. And this is the world that we've got to release our children in. This is the world that we have to empower them and have real conversations, not just about basketball, not just about the new coach at Alabama, not just about oh, what you're doing on the field of running track and all that. No, we've got to tell them the world that they are living in and cause them to understand. Pay attention. I need you to see. I need you to watch this. Stay woke. I need you to understand that this world, yes, has can can, is, can, can give you this country can provide for you what you need to connect you to your future. But but the same line of how you get there is not going to be the same. It is not going to be the same. And when you look at it, you know, well, this one made it, this one made it, that one made it. They look like me. Let me tell you, 
that doesn't work because there is a there is a chart of institutional hierarchy that was orchestrated or devised by uh, the late Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon. Uh, she was a professor theologian. Yeah, she devised this institutionalized racism hierarchy that what they do, what the system seeks to do is they'll find a few of us and put us in positions of power to be the counter narrative to what the system really is. So whenever you see that, they'll say, well, look at that one and look at that one and look at that one. They don't have that issue. They don't have that problem. They're this, they're that, they're this. Yeah, but as, as a way to act as the counter narrative. Oh, we could talk about this all day as a way to say, well, that person made it. How come you can't make it? X, Y, Z, A, B, C. See, the issue is not can they make it or not. That's never. The, that's not in, that. Not the issue at all. Not at all. That is not the issue because our young people are going to make it. But the que- the question is, they have got to learn the skills and how to navigate this world. We've got to demand that our schools, our public schools, but are able to 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 facilitate their possibility. That there are teachers in the classroom that understands our community and our neighborhood and our children and offer them responsibility, offer them opportunities rather and options to better themselves. I grew up in a rural school in South Carolina, across South Carolina. And I was uh, number three in my class, right? I was going to be number two, you know, but they rounded it off, blah, blah, blah. And the girl, that's my girl, no problem. She she got number two. I got number three was the issue. It's like a point or two away from each other, right? And so, you know, we, you know, my band director, my choir director, all of them were talking about major scholarships to HBCUs. They were talking about being a part of this program, you know, be a part, apply for presidential scholarships and all these different kinds of things. And our, our uh, guidance counselor comes into the room to our seniors. I'm talking about the top seniors, one, two, three. Maybe I think they had the top 10 of us. And her best thing was to tell us about technical school. You, you might want to go to Trident Tech. You you might not you wait a minute hold on you you might want to go to this these these schools that are not even were on the radar or anything that was the option I worked hard in school all these people work hard in school these black and brown children work hard in school and the best you can say is that in HBCU wasn't even in her lexicon she was Caucasian she didn't even know about a lot of the HBCUs uh, 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 FAMU and all of that she knew about South Carolina State she knew about Claflin. She knew about Benedict. She knew about Allen. She knew about Voorhees. She knew about Morris. You know, she knew about those, but she didn't have an expansive. So her thing was, well, you can go to Trident Tech. You can do these technical. Really? That's what you're going to do? And I remember my mother and father was like, oh, absolutely not. Nope, 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 no. You're going to go to where you want to go, Right. And at that time, I had applied to Morehouse and I applied to FAMU. I did. She, my mom, and dad did not want me to go to Claflin, in South Carolina State. That was their alma mater. Alma mater. I don't know why, but nonetheless, they were like, "No, we don't want you to go there. We want you to go where you want to go." And I got accepted into Morehouse and got accepted into uh, uh, FAMU. And if I went to Morehouse, I would do law, pre-law. And if I got into FAMU, I would do music. And I can remember my mom, I can see it as clear as that. She came into my room and said, baby, 
Go where your heart wants to go, where you truly see yourself being. And so I chose Florida A&M because I wanted, I loved music more than law. You know, now I can still, I can still be a lawyer now. I can still, <laughs> listen, I can still adjudicate and argue you down. I can still defend my case. Absolutely. That's just kind of my personality. But that's what she said. And my band director said, Hey, let's, let's go down. So he took a few of us, a couple of guys down, uh, to, to Fl- Florida A&M one weekend to see a game. And I got on that campus and I was hooked. That was it for me. I had never seen a place beyond my high school of, of black people uh, on the whole campus. I had just never just witnessed any of that. I just, it was just so overwhelming. And it's it definitely not as big then, a big now, uh, then as it is now. But it was so, wow, I just saw so much possibility. And so he said, okay, well, if you want to do this, I know there's the band director in Charleston, which is about an hour away. He says, I know he'll, he marched in this band since you want to march in that band, you know, Mr. Leonard McLeod. And I need you, he, uh, a band director at Burke High School. And he said, he'll, he'll teach you. He'll, you know, you can go to him after school. You go to him in the summer before you go to school, you know, go to whatever. And, and so that you can learn what they're going to be about. And we went, we did, I did that. It was such an amazing, I said that to say it took, I mean, you see all that community from my mom, my parents to my band directors, my teachers, you know, and one person, if I didn't have parents that understood that their young people, that this young baby, this young man was going to want to go to someplace different. I probably would have ended up someplace that I didn't really want to be that wasn't, a, you know, that wouldn't have been a part of my agency. And one of the things I think we need to think about is that, yes, we have to definitely create. Yeah, we have to create this entire village. You know, we always say, well, it takes a village to uh, uh, it, it, it takes it takes a village to to uh, to raise a child. And it does. And it does. It does take a village to raise the child. But you got to make sure your village is working. You got to make sure that, Coach Call. It's going to take, and, and here it is. I know parents are younger now, but guess what? Guess what? Parents have always been young in our community. They've always been in their early 20s. They've gotten married younger. They, they, that, that's our history in this country. The issue is, is not the age of the parents. It is how aware parents are. The parents in this hour lack awareness. And if we lack awareness, our children won't have awareness. And if our children do not have awareness, they'll go through this world not understanding that they have a responsibility and access and a place to exercise their voice. Absolutely. We've got to have that space and we've got to have that awareness so that we can connect the youth to help them through depression, to help them through through uh, racism, to help them through educational disparities, to help them through, you know, economic equality and trying to, you know, pre-criminalize them, right? That can help them through violence in our neighborhoods. That, yeah, see, we, to, to, to the mental health challenges that confront them, we have to be aware. We have to make them aware. We have to have conversation. How you feel it, right? We have to assess our parenting skills. That's right. That beating them and and whipping them uh, is not always the best discipline. Sometimes, sometimes what is necessary is a conversation. Tell me what's going on. 
Tell me why this is happening. You feel me? Tell me why this is this 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 thing is happening inside of you. What did what was the conversation at school? What did they say? What did the teacher say? Did you get your homework? Do you need help with your homework? Let me watch this. Let me see your homework. See, because at any given time, you as a parent have to say, "Let me see it. Let me see the assignment. Let me see the homework. Let me see what you did right here." We cannot. We cannot be dealing with a community of parents who've not finished being children. Once you've had a child, that child and you gonna have to take a back burner. You might pick it up later when they grow up. But now you've got to come and rise up to the level of maturity and responsibility that this this child belongs to me. And I gotta do my best to create a community, create a village and plug in and get my child when they're at the age, I've got to defend them in daycare got to defend them in pre-K. I've got to defend them when they're in middle school and elementary school. I've got to defend them when they're in high school until they can get to the place to make their decision. Their life, yeah, their life is in the Lord's hand. Yeah, but God put that life in your hands, in my hands. And you've got to do the responsible thing and make sure that you are building up our youth. They have so many challenges to face. Why? But the children need role models. Well, be a parent. That's the first role model. That's that's the first. Be a role model. You be the example of what you want them to become. But I didn't get my high school. Then you go back and get your GED. You go back and enroll in school. Don't let that be an excuse, Coach call. Absolutely. No more excuses. Our children need your the parents to be examples, the grandparents, to bring them to an awareness of who they are. And we cannot wait for public school systems to tell them that because all they're looking at is test scores and stats. They're not looking at the humanity, the full humanity of our children. That is the responsibility of engaged parenting. And we've got to do our job and we've got to do our job. Let me say this again. And we've got to do our job, Coach call. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Listen, this is Elsa Mr. Smith right here. On the culture call, I need you to go ahead and get some hydration. Maybe get a little snack and keep it right here. It's Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. Don't move. We'll be right back. Stay right here. Don't miss it. This is the world premiere. And we are back right here with your shooter, L. Spencer Smith, right here on the culture call. Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. And listen, I think I've calmed down a little bit. I get excited when I talk about youth. And our young people, making sure that we're building them properly. You know, with all of the challenges that they face today, first of all, I I think those of us who are parents and those of us who make up the village have to understand that these, these kids, these babies are living in a different world. They are living in a totally different world, a faster world. They have more information and more concerns thrown at them at younger ages than we ever had to think about right and i think sometimes we we try to adjudicate and we try to handle them from merely the perspective of our own lived experiences without really coming to understand the full facets of what they have to deal with day by day and i think that is important i think that's very important for us to understand that one, we have to take a step back and say, hey, what are they dealing with? 
I, I think that's only important because if we don't do that, we're going to miss an opportunity to really lead them and navigate them. See, it is not to say that we have to deny our lived experiences and try to wear fitted and throwbacks and, you know, to, to dress like them, to, to, to say their vernaculars and all that kind of stuff. No, we have the agency of our generation. I'm from Generation X. Some of you might be boomers. Some of you up to silent generation, you know. Um, but they're living in they're living in a post a post millennial because millennials are parents now, right? When y'all get up in church and and the preachers talk about the millennials don't want to that you talking to them like the millennials are in youth church. The millennials been out of youth church for years, and that right there is a parenting gap because we've got people who are speaking that don't even understand and know that that generation has grown up. That the generation you're looking at now are the generation where the millennials are the parents, <laughs> right? I'm I'm waiting on to become a grandparent. I'm not, yeah. So my children are all adults. So you know when 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 people get up and talk about the millennial, get up off of the millennials. You are on the wrong generation. You are you are you are definitely at the wrong generation. So you've got to stop and ask that and become generationally aware of what they're dealing with. Let me say it again. You've got to become generationally aware of what these children are dealing with. They're not dealing with the same level of concerns. They have to think quicker and move swifter and yet deal with some of the same kind of racial context that you did. That 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 demon, that devil has not died. The demonic principality of racism and prejudice and bigotry, they still gotta deal with that. The same way you did. But but they've got to handle it differently. They've got and so there's gotta be a generation that equips them and builds them to understand beyond all the other dynamics. Right? That, you know. Uh, most parents, did, when we were growing up, didn't talk about mental and emotional state of their kids. But that's something we have to do now. That 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 is something that we have to do now. You know, just because it wasn't done for you, done to you, and I made it, I made it. Well, you, actually, you really didn't. <laughs> you really didn't make it. No, you didn't. You didn't really make it as, as much as you thought you did. So so stop that, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to understand that. You got to really, really understand that. And if you don't, if you don't, what's going to happen, what's going to happen is that we, uh, you know, your kid's going to be like, no, nah, I can't talk to you. I can't talk to you. I tell my youth leaders at church all the time that we have to understand where they're coming from we have to we have to listen to them not listen not listen to agree but listen to become aware number one and listen to understand right in all you're getting get what lean into it and understanding right and so one of the things that my mom did you know because she was always oriented in the youth is have a bunch of young people children around them and listen to them 
listened to what we wanted. And she was doing that when I was a teenager, young teenager in school, you know. Uh, 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 you know, when she became the Christian director at our church, she just listened. My dad did the same thing, just around young people because they are recognized that these young babies a lot of times don't have, you know, that church is a daycare center for parents. In other words, parents sin and or drop off. My parents brought me to church. I saw my parents worshiping. I, you, you see what I'm saying? I saw that my mother worshiping at least. You know, I saw my grandparents in church. And, and so, you know, I understood what it meant to be a part of the youth department. I marched in the band. I went to football games. My brothers ran track. They played basketball. I was too short. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but they're taller than me. I, you know, so we got to experience. They they never made church an antagonistic thing against living a full social life. Right? So we were able to experience all of that. We were able to go to the prom in my house, you know, in our house. You know, they weren't able to, but I was, right? And say, so, you know, but they put a strong sense of faith and and knew that the church, the black church, the community that was there was important to what I would become. That there was never any kind of antagonistic behavior. In other words, they knew that there were things that were wrong with the church, that some of the things that the church kind of did and believed in how they treated people were not fair, but they wanted us to be a part of the church so that we could have a strong spiritual connection and foundation. That's important today. That as we're helping youth navigate, you know, all of the different kinds of things that they have had to go through, some of which we did not, you know, some of which we did not see in our time. Are we, here's it, are we developing the faith of our children? Uh, is, is that what we're doing? Are we making sure that they understand exactly, you know, that they have divine purpose? Because I think that is centrally significant, right? Now, I, we are all from various denominations and affiliations, fellowships, and doctrinal perspectives. So I get it, you know. But But every child, every child, every human, has a an inching, an urgency, a a, a a a desire to know the rock from which they were hewn. And I'm not just talking about their natural parents. They want to know that they are here on purpose, not just because my mom and dad, you know, got together, but that. I have been divinely sent here. I'm a thought of God. Well, see, that's got to be, that begins in the home. Yes, it begins in the church. Well, well, L. Bishop, I, I, last time I was at church, they treated me so bad. They acted like they didn't want me to be there. Okay, but that ain't the only church. That one church is of a group of people are not the same. They're not, that's not, every, they are not the same every way. Hello, you go to one restaurant, and you, they might throw your bag, your, your bag out the window. You go to another restaurant and hey, hey, good afternoon. How are you? You know, that, 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 so you know how to tell difference. You know, just because they treated you bad at Mount Moriah don't mean they're going to treat you bad at Mount Nebo. 
right? The whole idea is, is to get a connection of family faith, get a connection of youthful faith. Get a connection. You know, one of the things that when we when we got into situations that we didn't want to talk about it, you know, <laughs> and, and we, my granddaddy would say, well, go ahead and pray about it. Ask the Lord about it. <laughs> you know, he gave us a sense of faith, you know, and you would dare not say, I don't want to talk to no Lord. No, uh-uh, no, not, no, not in my time. No, not, but, but I get it. <laughs> I, get, I get it. But if you've not trained him to do that, if that hasn't been a part of, you know, their cosmological experience, if that's not been a part of their community essence, if that's not been a part of their family, then you can't tell them to pray about it. You know, when I was when I was getting ready to go to college, and matter of fact, not just me, but all my brothers, my, my brothers and my sister, we went to college and that we knew the talk was coming. The talk was, if you cannot reach us, if you can't figure out what to do, if you run into a situation that is, has no immediate solution, then you can always pray and talk to God about it. You can always reach out, here's what they said, to heaven with your faith. And I think that that is a prime building block for our young people. That is not a feeling because we can be a feeling-oriented people. Yeah. We can be an effective, by nature, we are an effective people, right? But, comma, <laughs> yeah, we are an effective people, but we are people that also have a knowing. There are going to be days that you don't feel like it sometimes, but there is a knowing on the inside of you. You've got to come to that knowing that when I get down on my knees and pray, there's somebody that hears me. There's somebody that listens to me. You got to have that. And if you don't have that, let me say this again. If you, if your child does not have that, my goodness, already you created a, in a chasm, a hole, a void where they can commune with God. Ah, Reverend, we don't believe in that God. Okay, you, you don't believe until you need to believe. The text says the fool has said in their heart, what? That there is no God, right? So don't teach your children to be fools and say that within you, there's not something greater. There's nothing deeper. There's not a spirit that lives on the inside of them because you teach them that. And then if something happens, you'll be trying to bring them back. Yeah, we'll be trying to bring them to the church and now you won't rev to preach them into a heaven that didn't even think existed. Absolutely. So, yeah, make sure, make sure, try it again, make sure that you understand that part of the development of our youth and building them up is to build them from the inside out and that begins with their faith, a belief that you can. I believe that you have been created and purposed and destined to be great in the earth. And I don't care what else happens. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care how they treat you. I don't care what they say to you. My mama says it's not what they call you. It's what you respond to. Right? That is important. But that has to be instilled. They've got to build them up. you got to build them up. I look at the youth in our church every Sunday. My eyes are always on them. Why? Because they normally sit in the same area. They normally sit together. Right? 
And I encourage our young people, our youth ministry, get them active in some level of ministry. Get them active in the community of faith. I speak to them. I empower them. Sometimes I prophesy to them, talk about their future, tell them who they're going to be great. That's a part of them growing up. And they don't have to respond to me like they're adults. They don't have to say amen. They don't have to lift their hands. They don't have to do all that stuff that, that goes a part of it. They don't, no, no, that, cause you know, at that age, it ain't cool to do that. So I, but that's, I don't think God requires them to do the histrionics that we've learned as adults to be a part of the community of faith. But I do want to create a level of believing on the inside of them. I want them to know that they do have a future and a hope. I want them to know that in this world that they're just not here, being here, going, you know, eat. No, I want them to know that there is a God. There is a community. There's a family. You got parents, grandparents. You got a pastor. You got a, 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 all these people around you that care tremendously about who you are. And it's to one end. To one, teach them to be all that God has called them to be. And two, to make sure they know that they have a voice in this world, that the world will fall on their decision making. That's what we want to do. And that's what we got to be engaged in doing. Listen, we're almost at the end. I see the runway and I'm about to land this plane. This has been the uh, the, the, the culture call with your truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. Keep it right here. We've got a little bit more to go. Don't miss it. Well, Culture Call family, it's been an amazing day. What you think? Yeah, I know I get passionate when I talk about our youth and our young people and really preparing them for the future. And I think we ought to all get excited and enthusiastic. You know, I know what the narratives are. I pay attention to the news media. And a lot of times they only paint the picture that they want you to see. And that picture is oftentimes not a reflection, a mirror reflection of the reality that we have some beautiful, brilliant, bright, black, young people. Our children are definitely the future. It is our responsibility to teach them well and then let them lead the way. Now, I know that there are polars to everything. What does that mean? I know that there are some young people that may not turn out how the parents have raised them. I get that. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's environment, it's personal decision. But I do think that we must be engaged actively every day, every day to speak positive, to give them the options of their own viability. I certainly believe that if we're going to see something happen in our young people to take charge, to rectify what generations have destroyed, right? then we're going to have to teach them morals. We've got to teach them purpose. We've got to teach them ethics. We've got to teach them destiny. We've got to teach them agency. We've got to teach them their value. We've got to invest in our young people like, you know, like we invest in our bank accounts, our, our 401ks, our retirement accounts. Yes, we've got to put up or shut up that we can't continue to talk about them and do all X, Y, Z and not have some level of understanding of who they are and what God has designed them to be. You know, I remember growing up as an insecure little boy. I thought I would never grow. They had me check to make sure that I wasn't a midget. That's just, I mean, it took me a minute to grow up. And all of my classmates were tiring 
uh, above me. Me and my baby brother were the same height, and I'm like three, four years older than him. And I was like, this is not fair. You know, I would come home crying and just all that as a young boy. But one of the things that my parents always put inside of me is that, well, if you're short, you're going to be a short dynamo. If you're a midget, you're going to be a little dynamo. You're going to be our little dynamo. You're going to be our little genius. And, you know, that was something that they always put inside of me. So I always had, even as a little boy, I had this little thing about me, a little a little swag about me, a little confidence, a little, you know, I had a little bit, you know, I was introverted. Then I was insecure, but on some things, you know, you know, I, you know, I didn't have the Napoleon complex, <laughs> but I knew that there was something great I was supposed to do in the world because my family told me, even at the places where I didn't even feel like I was valuable, I was still icky, you know what I'm saying? But I wasn't grown enough enough or I wasn't going to ever grow. Our children need that same kind of system that reminds them that you're going to be my dynamo. You're going to be, you are our future. You are our ticket out of this place. And that might sound like a little weight, but that's also value of living. And I want us to always remember that and how we treat our young people. Listen, as my grandmama and my mama used to say at the end of every phone call, I love you a bushel and I love you a peck. And I love you. A hug around the neck. This is Elspeth Smith right here on the Culture Call Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. I want you to keep it here for the best in great gospel music. Do well, love hard and intentional, and listen, make sure that you do people good. All right? Y'all be blessed.